Jim. It's 77 minutes in heaven. Hello, this is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Mavericks podcast that is not your savior. I'm Tim Cato. I'm and talk about the Mavericks. We've got Austin Gurria. I ran that one by you, Austin. I had a few different options for the Open, but you said that was the best one. Hey, man. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Um, I just listened to the pod. Sa- same as you. <laughs> um, Austin, how do you feel about 27-point leads? You know, how do you feel about history? You know, I I, I believe the Twenty Seven Club is is a bad club. You know, some oh there's a, a lot of great artists that got to Twenty Seven and didn't see the end. So the, the Mavericks have just they just joined that club yesterday. So you know that just means that they are also a a great artist. So me and Austin are neighbors in Dallas, um, but we usually record over Zoom. It's just easier that way. Today we're in person which may lead to a slightly more off-the-walls podcast than usual. But we're here. We're recording. It's Monday evening. We're talking to you guys after a really bad loss, like maybe the worst loss of the season for the Mavericks. Ooh, I'm not sure if it was the worst, but it it was bad. I mean, I think the, the stakes of what the Kyrie Irving trade was supposed to mean, not just for the Mavericks, but to Lucas specifically, and I think some... Concerning through lines and some concerning trends of Luca not being much different than before. I think I think we're going to get to all that. But right now, we're here to talk about the Mavericks blowing a 27-point lead to the Los Angeles Lakers. They did that Sunday in the mat, uh, the matinee game. It was bad. It was a bad game. It was it was objectively, you know, this this to build the lead in the way they did with three-point shooting to look dominant against a team that's very scrappy and feisty and and is much improved. Like, I'm very impressed with the Lakers. That does not excuse what the Mavericks did and and to blow a lead like that. And specifically for the defense to continue and to carry over in just a horrid way, in a dismal performance yet again. There's not a lot of good things to take from that game, just period. Yeah, and I think... A lot will be made of Jason Kidd's comments after the game, which were quite, <laughs> quite incredible. There were he really that's really might be his defining. Press let's conference. let's stick here for a second. Let's just start with the comments. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm I'm going to give Nick Nick Ingstad from Locked On Mavs asked this question, and it was it was a great question because he wanted to know, hey, why didn't Kidd call a timeout? Okay, so while you're talking stretch? about the question itself, can I note one thing? Yeah. So. I've seen Jason Kidd go into press conferences where he has something to say, where he wants to call out his team. And to be clear, a head coach calling out his team in the press conference is something that has happened since the NBA existed, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not even weighing in on whether it's right or wrong or effective or not. This was not the first question. This was not the second question. This was the last question that Jason Kidd was asked. And Nick Angstead of Lockdown Mavs asked a question about basically why did you not call timeouts? It was the very last question that was asked in this press conference, which seems to me, if I'm reading into this correctly, is that the question itself is what Jason Kidd was going off of. And there was some level of defensiveness coming into it. It was not a pre-scripted. He had talked a little bit about mentality and he had pretty plainly referenced Luca on prior questions. The quote that we're going to talk about mostly, which is that I am not the savior and 
I'm just watching just like y'all. That was the last question. I just think that's needed interesting context. That is that is good context because sometimes if a coach is trying to make a point, he'll come out and just make that point regardless of what the first question in a press conference is. And, you know, I think it's obviously it's a very quotable, very notable quote from Kidd. I, now that there's some, some time and space from it, I honestly think it might be one of the funniest things he's ever said. It's truly – he tries to be funny a lot, and I think he was actually funny in this moment. His sense of humor is is interesting. <laughs> interesting. It's interesting and awkward, and I think he actually landed the plane here. But I think the quote and the sensationalism from the quote is going to kind of overtake the main point that he was trying to make and the main issue that the team has. And that he, he was basically saying, hey, the team needs to mature. And he was like, when he said it's a young team, he wasn't talking about it being a young team. He's talking about Luca. Luca needs to mature. Luca needs to not talk to the refs all game, every game. It's been a problem for him this year. It's been a problem for him in his NBA career. It was a problem for him at Real Madrid. This is just who he has been his entire basketball life. And it's not, it's detrimental to his team. And it's when he's in, in you can always tell when Luke was having one of those games where he's just really frustrated with the referees and the energy just sucks the life out of the team. Like it just, it affects everyone else. And, and Kid is right. They can't win a championship if Luca plays games and has games where he just isn't a leader and isn't and is too interested in the refs to actually play the game. You know, it's funny. Like we spent a lot of last season at least pushing back, uh, making fun of. I, I don't know if we made fun of it on this podcast, but Jason Kidd loved to say last season that it was a young team, right? Yeah. It's not a young team. No. It is objectively. If you look at the ages of the players on this roster, this is not a young team. I've had this belief for a while, and I think him saying it again, him saying the team was young Sunday night, really made it clear to me. He's not talking about the actual ages. He's not talking about birth certificates. He's not talking about birthdays. He is, in some combination, either referencing specifically Luca and the idea that Luca is the leader of this team, and then the team takes after him, it may be that. I, I think even more specifically, he is saying this team is young and experienced. This is not a team that has a lot of playoff veterans. And I think if we know anything about Jason Kidd and his time, you know, as an assistant coach at the Lakers and, you know, just his many years being in the postseason, he is somebody who sees a outsized value on playoff experience. And the idea that if you've been there before, then you know how to do it. But if you haven't, then you don't. And it just seemed exceedingly clear to me last night. That's what he meant. That's what he's meant all along. Was that this team, sure, has, you know, late 20s, just turning 30 role players. But it is a team that does not have the experience of the postseason. And even with their conference finals run, really still does not in a lot of ways. And it all starts, obviously, with Luka who has all these habits and has all these things that he's got to stop doing that do not contribute to winning basketball, especially at the highest level. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that makes the Kyrie trade so interesting is that Kyrie does have a lot of playoff experience. I know like there's a lot of debate about Kyrie hasn't really done anything since 2016, but like he went to the finals three years in a row. He played a lot of playoff games. He's won a lot of playoff series. And that's a lot of experience. Like, if you've played in the finals three times, that's much more than most players will play in the NBA, especially as a 
star player and a guy who has a lot of responsibility on a team. So he actually does provide a lot of playoff experience for the team. And I think he's going to provide a little bit of guidance for Luka. I think Luka respects Kyrie. I don't think Kyrie is the kind of guy who's going to obviously yell at people and try to get people in check. But I think, you know, Kyrie does have a very calming presence on the court. And that's one thing that I actually was looking at when this trade happened. It's like, oh, how does this affect Luka in game-to-game days where if, if Luka's kind of getting out of control or he's just kind of, you know, out of it with the referees, does, is, does playing with Kyrie kind of help that and help him, you know, fast-track fast that maturity process? And that's something kind of to, to kind of keep watch on because they they need Luka to be engaged in games. And they also they need him to defend. That was their... One of their biggest problems yesterday is they couldn't defend and they couldn't rebound. They were act- they were getting some stops and they couldn't rebound. And Luca was guarding Jared Vanderbilt and Jared Vanderbilt bullied him, just bullied him on the boards. He both out- sides on both sides. He bullied yeah. him on both sides of the floor, and that's why they lost the game. I mean, there are lots of criticisms you can make about kids' rotations and not calling the timeout, and those are all very fair and valid criticisms, but. Luka Doncic cannot get outplayed by Jared Vanderbilt in a basketball game. You're going to lose those games more times than not. Yeah, I, I'm i not even here to make a, you know, Jason Kidd is unassailable point here. Yeah. But I but I do I do find this, you know, one thing I try to do in this podcast is like, let's, let's explain where his head's at. And I think that being able to understand kind of where he's thinking in those terms makes some more sense of things that in the past we've been confused by not calling timeouts honestly like his savior quote as as look it is very strange to me that an nba head coach would essentially say i'm not in control of them i have as much control as you guys do at the same time i get it i really do get it and and you referenced this earlier like you know the players have to i guess grow up to use his words a little bit (laughs) I, I do think that's true. You know, I do think the game was, you know, if there's there's a dozen points of Sunday's games that you can point to and say this is where the game was lost. To me, it was the final few minutes of the second quarter when Same. Luka was just not being Luka, you know. And maybe he wasn't rattled by Vanderbilt. Maybe he was, like, wanting to score on him because of, like, the, the narrative and, and, you know, broke his typically this is the best percentage option out of any play that I can do. I, I don't, you know, who's who's to say exactly what it was, but there was something about the way Vanderbilt was covering him and his frustrations with the ref and just the building lack of something, you know, like it, just, it wasn't, it wasn't Luca hell bent on winning. It was Luca primetime in Europe, not quite, you know, sensational, but not quite militant, or dogmatic in what he was trying to do. Yeah, and I think he he had a bad game. I yeah. think he, his first quarter was great, and he came out and he hit a few threes, and he thought we're about to get a, a Luka special on a Sunday afternoon against LeBron, because those are the kind of games that he really, for the most part, he shows up in those games. It's pretty, pretty rare for him to play poorly. I will say, some of Luka's worst games start with him making two threes. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's it's in a very odd way. It's not a good thing. (laughs) But then he, he just, he played really poorly in the last three quarters and they built a 24 point lead. And when he entered the game in the second quarter is when they lost the majority of that lead. And right. And it was a combination. There were some bad calls. They were, I think it was a poorly refereed game and Luca didn't have to call a whistle. Because LeBron, LeBron got, got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was a poorly refereed game. Like a lot of the calls that he was mad about, there was it was, was rightful to be mad about. But for for you to, who attended the game and 
got to see all the things you don't see on a broadcast. Did you think it was an especially egregious Luca game as far as the refs? Oh go? yeah, he was. Yeah. That was horrendous body language <laughs> to the point that press row multiple people were commenting on it. You know, like leaning back and forth of just like this is even by Luca's standards very poor from him and i don't know man that's got to change like in in the article i wrote sunday night i compared maxi clabo's return to luca's like lint or new year's resolution of like if he's just waiting for the team's best defender to come back to start you know rebuilding his defensive habits i'm not saying that's a good thing but if that happens then at least it can be you know, at least it's a step in the right direction. But like, it's got to change. It's got to. It's got to change now. And Maxi coming back is a big part of this. But I'll tell you right now, if Maxi returns and Luca is still playing defense like the way he is, this is not going to be a good team. Like, he's not a bad defender right now. He's an absent defender. Like, he's not there. Would you, a lot of the would you say that he has to participate in the defense? He's got to stop going out for cigarettes <laughs> and not coming back. You know, like like. Uh, <laughs> just like 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 where'd you go dude like you can't yell at the referees to bring the Mavs an actual shot blocker so you what can. are you yelling at them for you know and and you can you can rebound and I think that's another part of the Kyrie trade that's going to be clarifying for Luca is that now he doesn't have to do everything he doesn't need to have a 40% usage rating they can score and they can score a lot of points even without him on the floor so he has to contribute in all these other ways and be engaged on the defensive end, be engaged, rebounding, be engaged as an off-ball player because they no longer need him to dominate the ball for the majority of the game. He doesn't have to spend all that energy doing that. And I think it's just, it's an adjustment period. It's still the first five games of him playing with Kyrie. He's still, he's still, you know, he's still young. He still has to mature. He's 23 years old. He's still, he's learning how to play with another star. And so it's a process. It's not, this doesn't mean that it's going to be this way forever. But it's, you know what, it's, this is the exciting part for getting to watch a young star. I think we skipped a lot of those steps with Luca and a lot of the, the growth in watching someone ascend to be, and learning how to become a star because he was first team All-NBA in his second season. And we we're, for the first time, I think we're starting to see some of the growing pains for a young superstar with Luka Doncic. And I think, you know, that's kind of exciting because you get to see how players ad- adapt to change and adapt to new scenarios, but they're going to need to adapt quickly because they need every single win to make sure they're in the top six for the playoffs. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. So let's talk about the defense and exactly... What is going wrong? What has gone wrong? What like what fixes it again? And, and fixes is a big word. I'm not sure there is a fixing to the defense that happens this season, but there is a way it gets better. Let's say the Mavs defense is GTA two. 
Grand Theft Auto, and we have all the cheat codes for it. Or to go back to like my PC gaming days, like Age of Empires, we got the cheat codes for it. What are the two cheat codes you put in that you can change one aspect of the defense within the current roster as it's constructed that would make things better? Well, you know, we we did that draft of players who are important to the Mavs earlier this season, and I took Maxi third. I thought I said he was the third most important player on this team. I think I took Spencer second. Yeah, and th- honestly, that's I I feel fine with that. You know, replacing with Kyrie clearly an upgrade, but like they gotta have a second ball handler. Yeah, and this team cannot survive without Maxi. It's ve- it's been very clear that he is what holds their defense together. He is what allows them to make switches on the perimeter. You, you know he- where I most see it. It's when LeBron bullied Justin Holiday to the rim. Yeah. And it was like it was like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. And so here's the thing. The Mavericks love, you know, Jason Kidd and Sean Sweeney and the Mavericks coaching staff believes in not letting stars score. They send doubles constantly. You know, we've seen games where they double team, you know, Kevin Durant every possession. But when you do that, when you send a second player, that means that you're shifting into a scramble, non-set defensive approach where players are going to end up on other players, whether you like it or not. You know, you're not going to have the perfect defensive assignments for every player. When the Mavericks had Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba on the floor, they could survive that because Maxi and Dorian could guard just about every possession, and more specifically, they could guard in the post. Like they were not going to get bullied. They were not. There's very few players in the NBA that were stronger than them in a way that they could like very easily take advantage of them. They can't do that with uh, Josh Green, who didn't play a lot. Uh, he should have played more. But I think a big reason why this, and I've seen this, this has been a reoccurring trend. Josh Green is not a good post defender, yeah. and because of the way the Mavericks are playing. He gets put in the post on mismatches a lot, and he's just he doesn't have a lot he can do right there. Justin Holiday was not better, so I don't think that Josh Green should have been you know benched in place of him. Um, Reggie Bullock is not a mismatch switch screen defender, no. uh, not a post defender in those ways. Having I don't know how much of a trickle down effect there's going to be with Maxi coming back, but that is by far it's not even the rim protection. It's the idea that if the Mavericks are going to be scrambling. That they, they're not big. They don't have size. And Maxi coming back, and maybe, and this is a huge ass, right? me and Kirk talked about it last week, maybe the idea that Christian Wood is like 25% better as a defender, with and Maxie, thus you just have yeah. more size, yeah, with Maxi paired with him, that would give you lineups with more size and maybe some more ability to kind of do the scramble, switch, double. Yeah, and I, and I think also as someone who has not been a huge Wood supporter yesterday... He was pretty good on, like, I thought he was better than Dwight Powell. I thought he deserved to close yesterday. I thought he was, he showed more resistance against Anthony Davis and Dwight Powell did, and I thought he actually really did deserve to close. I'm also interested to see if Markeith Morris can give him some of that big wing defending. I quite honestly have not seen Markeith Morris play a lot of basketball in the last two years, so I have no idea of whether or not he can do it, but he at least has the size and the ability to do it and has done it in the past. So I think... Kid will try to use him and deploy him in different situations, but at least you know that like he's not just going to get completely bullied on the block. Because quite frankly, they don't have wing defenders right now that Dorian's not here that can guard those really big, strong wings, and that's not going to be a problem against most teams in the West. But it will be a problem against playing the Lakers, playing um, the Clippers with Kawhi. But uh, obviously, the problem with Markeith is that he can't really drop down to defend threes, twos, ones. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, not to say that Maxi can perfectly defend Ja Morant, but part of this is like, don't, don't give up enormous mismatches all over the place. And that's, that's basically the, like the entire idea about Maxi. Like you can target him if you want, if you're a fast point guard. And maybe you do make- have an advantage, but like over the long haul, it's not going to work well. No. And it's going to neutralize the star that you're doubling and causing these switches for. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing a few more minutes here and there for Marquis, especially, you know, very matchup dependent. But I, I, I think he's, I think he could be a usable player here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just, he's not useless. I think he right. has, he has a place in a, a, a role that he can play, albeit probably a very small role. But I'm, I'm interested to see what, what he could do because they just don't have, that size on the wing, but Maxi, man, he honestly he negotiated that that extension way too early. Should have should have waited until right now because he could have gotten a lot more money for that extension. <laughs> he could have bought Twitter. He could have bought Twitter. Could have bought yeah. Twitter with that with the new extension money. That's they, they they need him, and also he also makes them work better on offense because he can space and they can play five out for the entire game. I think it would be interesting to see how much Dwight Powell plays. Once Maxi comes back, because I remember the Maxi Christian Wood lineups were, were good. great. Yeah, the Max. I think now that they have Maxi Christian Wood and Josh Green coming off the bench, along with Hardaway, I think that's a it's a great bench lineup. And I think that's I think that's why kids started Holiday uh, in this game because I think he wants to go to that Green Hardaway Maxi Wood bench lineup. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And. I'll say Jason Kidd at practice on Monday, you know, he, he pushed back on the idea of expecting Maxi to be Maxi right away. Um, you know, he said a lot about just getting back into the rhythm, things like that. Um, you know, they're, they aren't going to throw him in the starting lineup. No. You know, like I, I didn't take, you know, I mostly took from that temper expectations as a, as any coach should do for a player who's coming back from a, a fairly severe injury after a couple months. But it was very clear to me, you know, like he's not he's not the starting solution for this team. He's not going to displace Dwight Powell. But yeah, he's just he's a, he's a crucial building block of of this team's identity, and and the, the fact that he is so crucial obviously does affect you know team building and and you know does does cast continued questions once we've asked many times, um, you know, about what this team and how they you know how they built the roster. But it does just really feel like if. Maxi is back on Tuesday, and there's a lot of signs pointing to him being back on Tuesday. It does feel like the start of the end of the season. Yeah. I and think, that's what we're waiting for. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't play in last year's, let's say he gets hurt before last year's playoffs, they, they might not get out of the first round mm-hmm. with without him. Like he's, you know, it's, <laughs> he might be the the worst, most important player in the NBA, just like <laughs> <laughs> the worst player that is like a team is completely dependent on him because he's he's not an all-star and maybe he's like a maybe borderline all-defensive player, but like the the Mavericks are very, very dependent on him and they do not have anyone who can even come close to replicating what he does on both ends of the floor and makes him very valuable. I'm very excited to see him back, you know, um, Maybe they add another big defender. Maybe uh, maybe a guy you mentioned last week that you said wasn't gonna get bought out. <laughs> I heard. I heard. Uh, I felt pretty confident that um, from people I talked to that it was probably not coming. But uh, Nerlens Noel is indeed on the free agency market. I stand by the idea that he is um, maybe not a good basketball player anymore. Do you think he's better than Javale McGee? Yeah, but can you get the roster spot? Would you cut Frank Nilakina to sign Nerlens Noel? Ooh. Well, Frank's a very nice guy. I mean, people forget about Frank. 
they 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 still forget about him because he doesn't play. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly like he does I mean he he has been getting minutes over Jaden Hardy because Jason Kidd has gone all out to solve to put defensive lines. I, I honestly and again this comes back to my idea that, you know, they're putting four decent to good defenders around Luca and Luca is single handedly tanking some of these lineups defensively. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He's got to he's got to get on track. I, but I I also actually agree with playing Frank over I, as much as I'm a big Hardy believer. I just don't think he's I think it's this is it's, he's not going to play much for the rest of the season. And and that's fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, I get it. He's shown yeah. enough. He's shown enough to be like he's a guy yeah. that's worth investing in, but they need to defend and they have enough offense now. They have Kyrie and Wood and Hardaway. They don't really need what he does right now. So, it'll be a good experience for him just to be around the team until the playoffs, but I I think I would cut Frank for New Orleans. I think New Orleans theoretically does all the things that Jason Kidd wants from a big theoretically. And if you can get him to do those things for 10 to 15 minutes a night, that's wonderful. Or if you can get him to do it for 20 minutes, every four games, that's also great. I think he might be more valuable than what Frank is going to give them. Do you think he still thinks about the American Airlines center hot dogs? Yeah, do you think have they like improved the condiments for the hot dogs? Do you think we uh, can upgrade that for them? They got Cholula down there. They got they Cholula? Got, yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. So they got Tabasco. Tabasco. Oh, Cholula. I'm not gonna have Cholula. people come, come for me on the podcast for pronouncing Cholula wrong. Ooh, thank you, thank you. You <laughs> saved me. Um, we'll have our editor take care of that. Um, we won't actually. I I want. You know what? When you come on my podcast, you get me and all of my mistakes. You know. You get the full Tim Cato experience. And yeah, I messed that up. But yeah, I meant to do better. And that's what's important. <laughs> Alright, this is a good place to end it. <laughs> like I said, it might it might be a little bit off the walls. Uh, it turned out to be just a touch. But um, Austin, thank you. Listen, and anytime. You know what? I, again, I just, just listen to the pod. Same as you. Same as you, you listen. Thank you for doing that. Uh, we'll be back later this week. See ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca. Big Dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? the future it tears me apart don't fight the future please be nice to luca future four-time mvp